0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover
0: your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by
1: dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble.
2: Everybody is identical in their secret unspoken belief that way deep down, they are different from everyone else.
1: David Foster Wallace. Not really. I'm more of a maybe saddle and pass kind of guy than a a peak bagger. My wife describes me as a little bit more acrophobic than your average Joe. I get very nervous when I start feeling air on three sides of me, right? And it's much more about the feeling of being out there and the beauty and being surrounded than it is about having to stand on the top. Ah, we'll go up six, seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 peaks in Washington or in North Carolina, Tennessee kind of areas. I'm not scared of those kind of peaks, but not going to collect 14ers. It's not my ballgame. I'm Doc,
2: and this is Hiker Trash Radio.
1: Hey, is this thing on? Hello?
0: Hit it again. I think it's on now. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type two fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20 mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck.
2: We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, They've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, garage-grown gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. And welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. This week's guest is backpacker, musician, and theologian, Nate Jones. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Nate. How's it going?
1: Doing great, Doc. Wouldn't rather be anywhere else except maybe out hiking.
2: Fantastic. And where are you calling in from tonight? Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. Hiking capital of the continental U.S.
1: It's, it's a Mecca for sure. That's why everyone's always leaving Texas to go hiking.
2: It's a Mecca. You so are
1: going to Texas at some point in this podcast for sure. We've got some decent stuff here.
2: Okay. And we've already worked in a religious term into the podcast. tonight. You use the word Mecca.
1: Oh, that's true. That does have significance. My area of expertise necessarily, but I know it a little bit. Yes, a little bit. Okay. Now, Nate, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? Many times, maybe too many times. Yeah, I like to just sometimes binge while on the treadmill or something like that, driving long distances, just keep it rolling. Yes, and you took the time
2: to sit down at I was gonna say your typewriter, those things, do those exist anymore? Probably not. You took the time though to sit down at your computer and type me up a very nice email and told me a little bit about yourself and some of your hiking experiences. And I decided right then and there, I had to have you on the podcast.
1: Good, I appreciate that. I actually have to admit, I'm a pretty good thumb typer on my phone. All that was on my phone. No way. That
2: was a lengthy email to type on a phone.
1: (laughs) Gotten pretty good at it over the years.
2: Now there, I think there's a generational divide with inputting into your phone. There is like the older generation, like myself, who it's like one, it's my forefinger, one letter at a time, as I go. And then there's the young, the, yes. Then there's the younger generation that uses both thumbs to do it at lightning speed.
1: I think we actually may be coming full circle with that a little bit. And I think my generation, like the kind of mid-millennials, might be the most technologically savvy because now these kids, they're just back to just pressing buttons. They don't know how to download things. They don't know how to create a web page, like all that kind of stuff that I did as a teenager a lot.
2: What do you ascribe that to? It seems like they should be getting even more techie than, their, than the previous generation.
1: I don't know. I know that the tech has just gotten so good that and, and a lot cheaper than it used to be. I'm, I remember spending almost $1,000 on my first TV, and now you can get a really good TV for 100 200 bucks So technology is part of it. I think our attention spans are dwindling. And so kids are on TikTok, and they just have a 10-second little bit, and maybe just less of this, like, long-form conversation. Like, the people I know who listen to a lot of podcasts tend to be the 30, 40, 50 range, not so many teenagers, but then again, I have small kids, I don't have any teenagers at home, so I'm not too plugged in.
2: Yeah, I think some of it might also be that back in the day, when I was younger, I I would build computers from scratch, right, I knew what was inside, I knew how to put it together, Uh, and then I think as things progressed, people maybe of your age, you knew kind of what was on the back end, how to, uh, you know, what was behind, under the hood, Uh, Behind the curtain, not not just the right. Exactly. And so you had to do a little bit of work. You had to understand it. Uh, It all made sense that way. And I think it is so polished now. And all you do have to do is download an app or access a web page that it's there's very little stretching going on in terms of, I guess, the younger kids.
1: Yeah, I can see. I think the educational software has become really good too. So it's a lot more tempting just hand your kid an iPad and be like, hey, go learn for an hour, which is probably better than them just watching random TV. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a shift.
2: All right. Hey, Nate, in all your time on the trail, have you picked up a trail
1: name? Not really. I am going to go, I've not done a long distance through hike yet. The goal is to do that with my daughter this summer, at least probably half the Colorado Trail. And my daughters have taken to calling me Mr. Dude. I don't know where it came from, but they like to call me that. So I think I'm just going to start with my daughter with that and see if it sticks or if you run into some people and they might have a different perspective and offer something else. So we'll see.
2: Now, which, really. da- which daughter gave you that name? Was it the
1: six-year-old or the four-year-old? It's a tandem effort. We do this thing we call bed games, which is all three of us on the bed, and we have, like, Daddy Mountain where they climb me or things like that. And just at some point, I think the younger one was like, I want to play bed games with Mr. Dude. And I was like, that's the nicest thing anyone's called me in a long time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it.
2: I think if, if your daughters give you a trail name, you might have to take that. Mr. Dude's a pretty good one.
1: Yeah. There could be some worse ones for sure. As you can see, I wear a lot of Duke gear because I work for the football team. I'm not taking Dukey because I already have a little delicate GI constitution. I don't want to hear any of that. (laughs) I'm out there.
2: It could also be, was it Daddy Mountain?
1: Daddy Mountain. Yeah, that's that's another good one. Yeah. It's probably something that came from Bluey and I didn't even realize it. They're just (laughs) copying it.
2: Now, being a regular listener, we have a segment towards the end of every episode where I will turn to you and ask you to share a hiking hack, some of your trail wisdom to make our listeners' next outdoor experience even better. So you know all about that. I don't have to tell you not to be surprised because you won't be. I'll be locked and loaded. Trailblazers Toolkit. All right, Daddy Mountain. It's... uh, Time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. I love to talk about gear on the podcast. I love to hear about the most important item in my guest's adventure gear. So, Nate, if you were preparing for your next adventure and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear. Tell me why you got to have it out there. This could be any type I'm... of items to be gear, apparel, luxury
1: item. Nate, what is that item for you? I'm not sure if I've ever heard this one on this podcast, so I'm going to try to go in left field a little bit. I have a Bluetooth sleep mask that I use when I'm at home, but also out on the trail. It helps keep some noise out, helps keep some light out, and just sleep is at a premium when you're sleeping outdoors. So car camping or backpacking, anytime I'm sleeping outdoors, i got to have that.
2: You are correct. No one has ever mentioned a Bluetooth sleep mask as the, the must-have piece of gear out there. Congratulations. Yeah,
1: a little bit of music, a little bit of stand-up comedy sometimes just to try to shut the brain off a little bit. And then after an hour, sleep timer goes off and I'm usually sleeping well. Yeah, it's tough. You would think that after hiking all day that you'd be
2: exhausted and you would just fall right asleep, but that does not seem to be the case for many
1: people out there. Yeah, sometimes I'm really jacked up if I had a really great weather day and like I want to just be out for sunset. And then like I'm in a kind of elevated state and it's hard then to wind down. But I'm, I'm sure if you do week after week and you're putting in 20, 30 mile days and stuff that it gets easier to just collapse.
2: Yes. Now tell me about this Bluetooth sleep mask. I understand sleep mask, but I, under- I would think that with Bluetooth, there's also uh, an earpiece component to it.
1: Yeah, it, kind of, it goes all the way around, and then there are these two little speakers right here. Got and it. And you just hook it up to your phone, and your phone is operating it at that point. Okay, does that and deplete your phone battery? A little bit. If you're going to watch a Netflix video or something like a YouTube video, yeah, but a podcast doesn't, it's not too bad. Wait a
2: second, Nate. You can use your Bluetooth sleep mask to watch a Netflix video?
1: Yes, yeah. So one thing you can do if you're maybe not the most like naturey of backpacker, you can download Netflix videos and watch them in your tent with your little uh, sleep mask. And yeah, I like a few creature comforts out there for sure. Doesn't the sleep mask cover your eyes? It does. You can put it like this and oh, still have uh, like it, like
2: on your forehead.
1: Got it. Yeah, exactly. I thought this it was some.
2: Sure. I thought this was some high tech piece of equipment out there that
1: had built in VR goggles and whatever else. Uh, You can get these for 10 or 20 bucks. They're not too high tech, Um, but they are pretty handy. Okay. Hey, let's keep talking about gear a little bit more with
0: it's the hiking pole.
2: The hiking pole. And you know what I'm going to say, Nate, I'm going to say that's pole spelled with two L's. That's right. He's holding up two right there. Two L's like a survey. Not like the thing you carry in your hand out there. This is a seven-question survey that is going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale. One being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. And anybody with the trail name given by his daughters of Mr. Dude, that's an automatic 10-point deduction. So your top possible score tonight is 90. All right. If I had gone with Daddy Mountain, it would have been another five points. But we're going to go with Mr. Dude. Sounds good. Okay. Which questions have you heard? I want to I know which, which set of questions I should be pulling from here. Keep you on your toes.
1: I'm trying to remember uh, I think you'll ask about how you do TP or defecation in the woods. Okay use uh, hiking poles as part of it. I think the only time you threw a curveball was with a climber one time and you had to do the, the climbing pole. So that was definitely a little different. Don't ask me anything about that. I'm not a climber. <laughs> okay. I'll scramble. I enjoy scrambling, but I'm not in the gym getting after it like a lot of those people do. All right. Well, you know
2: what? I'm going to keep you on your toes. I'm going I'm to make you scramble because we're going we're gonna to pull from some from each list here. It'll still be a total of seven questions. We're going to mix it up. All right. All right. And again, this is not rapid fire. I want to hear your answer, see which side of the issue you fall on. But I also want some explanation. It's going to help me with my scoring for you. Sounds great. Okay. Question number one. We'll start out nice and easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles out
1: there? Love them. I used to be that little schmuck who would make fun of people with trekking poles. And look look at these old people. They can't just walk on their own two feet. And it's not like I've gotten super old or anything. I've just learned to appreciate being almost quadrupedal. You can use your arms sometimes to help you up. You can have an easier descent on your knees. I feel a little bit more confident with like, Maybe wildlife. If they're going to come up to me, I have a little something to ward them off. I've seen a lot of mountain goats in Colorado hiking, and they're not super aggressive, but they like the trail too. And I feel a little confident with my poles.
2: All right, quadrupedal. I love it. All right. Yeah. Question number. Have you done overnights? Yeah. Okay.
1: I have. Okay. Um, I've never done like weeks at a time, but I've done like week and under trips. Okay.
2: Question number two, you've already used a lot of big words and concepts here, so this is right up your alley. Do you use
1: the Oxford comma? Yes. My doctor father, doctoral advisor, is a Cambridge guy, and so I had to be by the book. Though maybe the Cambridge folks would say, hey, who needs the Oxford comma? We have the Cambridge lack of comma or something like that. Um, But, yeah, I always tried to keep my stuff pretty buttoned up around the, the British academics much as possible.
2: All right. Good answer. Good answer. Question number three. uh, I'm going to ask the the defecation question. Toilet paper,
1: bidet, leaves, snow, or or something else out there? I was actually reflecting deeply on this question today because I knew it was coming and I actually have a good idea. I have been burying TP when I've been out there. However, I was listening to you talk about this duct tape covered Ziploc bag that you pack your TP back in. And I think I actually already have a couple of those. They're called wag bags. So when we were in Arches National Park, we did this hike called the Fiery Furnace, where it's like a permitted thing. There are a lot of rules. You have to go sit through like a 30-minute kind of educational program before you do it. And there is no defecation to be had on the ground in there. So you have to do it into your bag, or you just hike real fast, which is what I chose. I had it with me, but I was trying to get out of there before I needed to use it. So I, I think I'll next time I go out, I'll bring that and uh, put my TP in there, and then dispose of it when I get back.
2: I'm always tickled when I hear that someone reaches out to me and they talk about the podcast. I love that connection, that interaction. I love the fact that people are out there listening to the podcast. And now I'm even—I I feel like overjoyed that someone is spending a lot of their time
1: in deep reflection of a possible question on the hiking pole. That just that
2: just makes me
1: feel good. I also listened to the Skirka episode this morning, and I know he's big into the backcountry bidet, which I've not experimented with yet, but maybe next time I'll give it a shot. Okay, literally, give it a shot. <laughs> a healthy
2: shot. <laughs> a healthy shot, that's right. Yeah. All right, question number four. Let's see. Let's go back to this set of questions. Let's talk about uh, your
1: food out there. Stove, cold soak, or stoveless? I think cold soaking should render somebody automatically like zero. Or can you get negative points? I, I don't really get that. I can do stoveless. Like if it's going to be a night or two, I might pack a Jimmy John's out and eat that the first night, and then just have you know some bread and. Meat and cheese, or whatever. But if it's going to be more than a couple of days, I'm going to bring stove for sure.
2: Yeah, there is a severe drop off in your score if you pick cold soak. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Is it a
2: mystery how many points you lose if you cold soak? It, it is. It is. It, it, it just depends on the day. It depends on on how I'm feeling and my my the strength of my reaction to that particular answer. If it was a rough day at work and and somebody throws in there that they're a cold soaker it could be really bad. <laughs>
1: Point carnage.
2: (laughs) Point carnage. Love it. Love it. All right. Question number five, I believe. Let's see. Would you rather always live 10 miles from where you were born or never be able to settle down in one place for more
1: than a year? I was born right near Duke University. so. I wouldn't mind spending all my days around there. I don't obviously don't live there anymore, but that's a pretty nice place to be. It's not like I was in the middle of some plane somewhere where there's no grocery store or anything like that. But I also can be pretty nomadic. I would love to travel. My, my wife and I always talk about like when our kids go to college, maybe doing like an RV, going out west and that kind of thing. So I, th- I think I can go either way. Okay, but that's not the question. Question is which one? which one which one i'll go with the nomad actually okay I think the nomad life sounds good right now
2: yeah that that question i think is designed to get at the your level of wanderlust if you are if you're if you'd be satisfied just staying in one place or near one place for your entire life or if you, you've just got to get after it out there
1: yeah i guess if i grew up in a cabin in the colorado mountains or the pnw or something then that might be a little different answer but Durham, North Carolina is also not maybe the best hiking mecca. Go a couple hours west, though, and you start to get into some interesting stuff.
2: Okay. Question number six. When it comes to your shelter system out there, tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping, or, or something else?
1: Tent. I'm a pretty traditional tenter. I like the feeling of enclosure, being able to know that you're insulated from all sorts of the elements and bugs. I Bugs are a big pet peeve. So I love just being able to get in there. I know that I'm pretty well protected.
2: Yeah, and if you're not watching this on YouTube, you're missing out on one of his daughters looking through the French glass doors behind him, wondering That's what the one who's
1: going to Colorado show next summer. Hopefully,
2: <laughs> saying, "Dad, what are you what are you doing in there? How come we're not How come we're not playing Daddy
1: Mountain? That's <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we just did that a little bit earlier after dinner. Not anymore, though. All right. Question number seven. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? I think where I've settled on this, and you're probably going to force me into a binary option here, but is that I'm happy to spend a little extra money to lighten the stuff you really need. It's like a light tent, a light uh, quilt, that kind of stuff, in order to be able to take something like the sleep mask, external battery, a few things like that. Maybe sometimes splurge on food a little bit.
2: I like that answer. I'm not going to make you for it. I'm not going to force you to, to change that to, to one or the other.
1: I, I, I think that, a lot of people tried to, to do the combo, and that, so I was trying to do the combo a little bit. Well, the way
2: you explain it, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. You spend where you have to go as light as you can so that you can bring some other stuff with you. So it sounds like they're I'm both there, important.
1: I'm not out there to try to prove how tough I yeah. can be so much. I want to have a good time, as good a time as you can have.
2: Hmm. Now, I bet you could probably even tell me the mathematical formula that I'm going to have to go through here to render a score for you.
1: Something involving pi.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. We're going to have to carry, we're going to have to carry the three. We're going to divide by good. pi. And we're going to multiply by…
1: Root, Two hiking poles? Root
2: five. <laughs> Two, five. Eight, yeah. And eight. we're going to make a slight adjustment for the length of the fiery furnace rule talk that you had to sit through. And I come up with a, a, an impressive score of
1: 73. Yeah. In terms of hiking and backpacking, I'm pretty sane. In some other areas, I think my friends and family would say I'm a little insane. But, yeah, and give me a couple years, and I think I can get that score down a little bit.
2: Okay, okay.
1: In the 50s.
2: You have your assignment, then. You've got something to work on.
1: All right. Sounds good.
2: Okay. Nate, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit to tell us about your background. You already intimated that you were born near Duke, so I want to hear about where you grew up. Any siblings also involved in the outdoor adventure arena? And how did you get involved? How did you fall into the trap of just being enamored with outdoor adventure and through hiking?
1: All right, let's do a little speed run through my life. Okay, I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, and then when my dad was in grad school at Duke, and then we moved to Baltimore, Maryland when I was one, lived there till I was 10, moved back to Duke area, Durham, Chapel Hill area, lived there from 10 until my wife dragged me to Texas, which was seven years ago. So most of my time was in Durham, North Carolina scampering around some hills and mountains in that area, but didn't really have the bug at all. And I I think I told you in the email I sent that I I did a week-long kind of section hike on the AT in college with some friends, but my whole goal was just, they were the cool kids who are master students, and I wanted to pick their brains and feel like I was like advanced, like they thought I was cool undergrad to talk to. So I brought out, it was irresponsibly ultralight sleeping bag that you would take to your friend's basement to have a video game sleepover, Jansport backpack, Chex Mix, um, Pop-Tarts, no water filtration. I just figured "It's, it's water, it'll be fine. So I was having to mooch off of the other guys with their iodine tablets and got gear shamed at some shelters and stuff. And then after that, it took a while. I was like, head down, do well in school, finish all your classes and degrees and everything. And then my wife just started pulling me. She had grown up hiking, camping, not really backpacking, but just being outdoors a lot with her family. And so she was like, I need to take you to Patagonia and you need to understand that Appalachian mountains are nothing compared to some other areas in the world. So did five, six days doing the W Trek in Patagonia and that kind of got me. That was maybe the first time the bugs started to really grow. And then she was like, also, now that we can't go internationally and COVID's here, you need to check out the West. And so the last like three, four years, we've just been hitting up all of the amazing areas out there. Colorado, Utah, California, Oregon, Washington. It's unbelievable. I think we might have the best hiking country in the whole world. Maybe not Nepal or there's some contender, Switzerland, but the American West is unbelievable.
2: Agreed, agreed. Hey, a lot to unpack right there. You did a sprint
1: through your life. I've got some follow-up questions if you don't mind. Did you meet your wife at Duke? We did. We met halfway through undergrad. We were doing a it was an intentional Christian vocational community kind of thing where eight undergrads all lived in the same house. Been a slightly sketchy part of Durham, and then interned at various different like nonprofits. Or I was working at a church that summer. And yeah, one thing led to another. If you live under the same roof as someone for a couple months, it's easy to get to know them really quickly. And, yeah, so you lived yeah.
2: together before you were married.
1: We did. Different rooms, yeah. different oh, okay. beds. Hey, I, I, it's okay. All right. Puritans at the chapel wouldn't have liked that very much.
2: <laughs> now, is she from Texas? Is that why she dragged
1: you back to Texas? yeah she's from austin which does have a a really nice hiking culture there for sure the texas hill country is not again it's not really mountains but you get really nice elevation changes limestone cliffs beautiful water so much spring-fed water in that area really nice
2: okay and she sounds like she has a hiking background
1: yeah, she, she's never done long distance through hikes. I don't think she really, she doesn't love sleeping outdoors and I get it. It's, a, it's tough to sleep outdoors. But her family would like every June, they'd go to Glacier or Yellowstone, or Yosemite. I, I did a little of that growing up, but it wasn't like, let's all get out and hike 10 or 15 miles. It, my parents were much more, let's drive around Yellowstone, stop, get out, walk the boardwalk, go have a nice sit down lunch, a little more touristy rather than hiker trashy. Uh, My wife was a little bit hiker trashy growing up.
2: Okay, and did did your hiker trashy wife, did she pick up a trail name?
1: No, not yet. She could be doc though, she's an oncologist. I guess there there is no like limit on shared trail names. Have you ever come across another doc out there?
2: I'm sure there's all kinds of docs out there.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: less frequent would be like Poopans or Cheddar Beard. Yeah.
1: What was the one with the Skirka episode? The funky avocado or something? That was funky avocado.
2: That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. And you you told us a little little bit about your first AT experience there, a little section hike with the grad students. In your mind, was that a good experience, a good hiking experience, or a bad hiking experience?
0: Uh, Overall,
1: good. Just. I think I I just enjoyed getting to know those guys. Like when you're with somebody for day after day, you just spend so much time talking about all sorts of stuff. One of them was in my wedding. There's some shared suffering that can really bond you. I don't remember feeling this kind of breathtaking, overwhelming, verklempt feeling that I do all the time out West. The Appalachians are, they're old green hills. I have to say, I miss the jagged rocks and the feeling that you could fall off the trail and die at any moment. Pretty exhilarating out west.
2: Yeah, I'm always intrigued to find out if if their first hiking experience, person I'm talking to, if their first hiking experience was terrible, why did they continue to do it? I think that says something about the outdoors that no matter how terrible it is, there's still this pull back to nature. And then there's also this uh, concept of if you're ill-prepared, if you don't have all the right gear in air quotes there, but you still had a fantastic time, that just takes away a lot of the excuses, right? You don't have to wait until you have all of the perfect gear or wait for the perfect conditions or wait for you know, whatever you're waiting for. It's better just to go with what you have or what you can afford and get out there and do it.
1: Exactly. I remember Skirk was saying on one podcast one time, this day and age, everything is good. Like you can just wander around, even just REI and not spend that much money and have some pretty solid year to go out there with.
2: Yeah, I think he said in his episode with me that anybody can go out and, and get geared up really quickly. And so his most important thing to bring out there with him is the skills, right? What's between the yeah, ears right. and hence yeah. the name of the episode for him.
1: And just like anything in life, just making mistakes that aren't like permanent, costly mistakes and just refining next time you go out there. That's
2: right. Now, wife is an oncologist. You have a hiker trashy wife who is an oncologist. That's a great combo. What do you do to uh, fill your time and pay the bills?
1: Yeah, she brings home the uh, thick bacon slices. I bring home some bacon bits, writing and singing on the side, but mostly taking care of our daughters while they're so young right now. I uh, defended my dissertation a couple years ago and definitely not jumping straight into a full time tenure track professorial kind of thing right now. And I'm not even sure if that's ever going to materialize down the road. But as our girls get older, I will definitely be leaving the house a lot more than I currently am.
2: We may have, this could have been a trail name for you, but it could be a trail name for the episode Bacon Bits. I like that. I like that. <laughs> will die laughing. <laughs> Now, you say freelance writing and some singing in in
1: what areas? So for a long time, I was like in the semi-professional opera singing world, like where I could make enough money to pay my own bills. Like I could survive, but not thrive with a family and raise children with how much I could make singing. And I haven't been doing much singing, uh, formal singing since I've been taking care of the girls, because pretty much everything happens at night. That's the only time we can be together as a family. So it's not the right chapter of time right now. I was singing um, at a fancy church around here for a little while, but I changed ecclesial affiliations, let's just say. So I'm not actively singing there anymore. And then for the writing, of course, I have like my own personal projects, articles that I've been working on for a while. The novel I started 10 or 15 years ago, that's Maybe halfway done and just write a lot of book reviews and stuff like that right now. Okay I always have a
2: great deal of envy and respect for people who can sing because that's not me. I have uh, no no musical ability whatsoever. I have a hard time playing the radio sometimes. Kudos to you and then your book that you're halfway through. Can you give us a, a brief synopsis what is the, the summary? What kind of book is this?
1: It is it's a novel. Semi-autobiographical, I would say. You're an English teacher, right? Imagine if Father Zosima from Brothers Karamazov was an old, fat, black opera singer who was teaching somebody like Alyosha or maybe Hal Incandenza from Infinite Jest how to... Infinite how to
2: Jest, wow, knows. okay.
1: Yeah, that I went through a David Foster Wallace face where a couple friends and I, one of the guys on the AT, introduced me to him and yeah... It, very unique writer. Very Absolutely. Unique. Um, yeah. And polarizing, I, I've learned over the years, too. It's like, oh, you're just like a, a white dude who reads Dave Foster Walls. Never heard of that one before. That kind of thing.
2: So a lot of references right there to other works, but it's also semi-autobiographical.
1: So this is a kind of a follows your journey. Well, yeah. I, I started wanting to explore this kind of fictional world at a time when I was feeling like it was time to kick some adolescent habits maybe, or just like time to prepare, like you're getting married, you're gonna have kids. What is it like? What can I teach the young version of myself from what I have now gone through? Maybe think of it as like a midlife existential crisis kind of fictional world a little bit. And I don't know if I'll ever wanna get it published or anything, but I know I need to finish writing it. I know that it's important for my own psyche to finish stuff like that that I start, yeah.
2: And have you copied the style of David Foster Wallace?
1: At first I started doing the the long footnotes and my wife was like, that's the most pretentious thing I've ever seen. You better stop that right now. (laughs) I had like reviews of this guy's performances in German that I was gonna put in the back of the book and she's no, this is already pretentious, just stop. I like
2: your wife already, I've not met her. I have not talked keeps, to her, but you know what? She she sounds like she keeps it
1: real for you. She was even trying to give me some guidelines. She was like, do not mention that you saw a black bear on the trail this summer. These are serious hikers. They're she, not going to take you seriously if you say that.
2: She was coaching you up for the, for the, the podcast tonight?
1: Yeah, just a little bit.
2: Fantastic. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and hear from the advertisers, pay some bills. When we come back, we're going to hear about that Blackberry saw last summer and that and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on
1: the trail all day long. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
2: Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. Learn more at marines.com. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Through hiker owned. Jolly Gear where fun meets functional. And welcome back. We were talking to Nate Jones, AKA Mr. Dude, or was it
1: Daddy Mountain? Daddy Mountain, I'm I'm warming up to that. Daddy Uh, Mountain, it sounds composing. Yeah, sometimes they ask for K2 or Everest, and then I'm just like, I'm on all fours, trying to somehow be a Himalayan mountain. I much prefer the Appalachian times.
2: Daddy Mountain, all right. Let's talk about the outdoors. I know when you reached out to me, You talked a little bit about uh, your experience at Duke, this uh, section hike of the AT, your recent trip out into the mountains and coming back and just being absolutely glowing, according to your wife, and that that had been uh, maybe a little bit of a change because you had gone through some dark times, some dark days. Do you want to talk a little bit about the dark days?
1: Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about it. I did. All of my education at Duke, bachelor's, master's, and eventually doctoral degree. And the really weird thing about it, pretty much all of my degrees were in like religion, theology, philosophy, music, literature, kinds of stuff. What was really bizarre for me is at the end of it, I was more confused (laughs) than at the beginning. And I had all this fancy education, but by the end of defending my dissertation, I felt. More worthless than I did entering all of it, and it's been really hard to process and maybe like divvy up blame to myself, maybe to some others around too. Try not to play the blame game, but I also want to process why I finished my dissertation feeling terrible when you would think that you would feel the sense of like accomplishment or relief or something like that. Yeah, I didn't expect it to go that way. I, I expected. I'm gonna, you're going to have to work hard, but you don't expect to work hard and then feel like it wasn't worth it somehow. Yeah, and, for, and so, somehow the outdoors has been functioning almost like a healing south. I feel so confused about whether or not God exists, the nature of God, all these kinds of things have fractured. But when I go out there and I'm like completely enveloped in the pristine wilderness, I I feel that good spirituality again. And that's maybe part of why I like John Muir, or like reading about him, because he had somewhat similar experience, I think with a very traditional, strict upbringing in Calvinism. And eventually he's, I feel God's presence up there. That's my home up there. And I'm starting to feel some of that for sure. The glow, I was up in the Sangres in Colorado, up at South Colony Lakes, like Crest O'Neill's just right there. Staring at you, the wind just undulating over the water. It was unbelievably idyllic. And I came home and I was like, Amy, I don't think I can become a professional backpacker, but I got to do more of that. I got to do a lot more of that.
2: There is something to be said about the the healing power of nature, the, the spiritual uh, quality of being out in nature. And I know you've been listening to a lot of episodes, so you know, they come out on Saturdays and Mondays, Saturdays for your weekend hike and Monday for your morning commute. But maybe I'm thinking this episode might have to come out on Sunday and have people commune with some of these questions and some of these issues on a Sunday as they're out there listening. Yeah,
1: I think so. I want to be clear. I'm not saying I've lost my faith completely, or I'm an atheist or something like that. It's just, what I thought was going to happen didn't happen in terms of staying on fire for a particular understanding of God. And it's, I'm now the guy I used to make fun of a little bit. I used to be like, Thoreau is such a self-involved prick. And now I'm like, yeah, yeah, they had some points. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's complicated, right? These are the big questions. The, yeah. the, this is what we all wrestle with and what is it all about? What, why are we here? is there a god why is there suffering in the world why do bad things happen these, these are all questions and sometimes the more the more you realize you don't know or the more questions appear the more there is a reason there's a saying out there that ignorance is bliss you're not weighted down if you, if you don't if you don't know a whole lot don't care a whole lot then you're not weighted down with all of these complexities but the more you get into it the more you realize it isn't
1: simple no, it's not. The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein is a philosopher of language. He said, if you want to do philosophy, you have to be willing to go into the mud and be happy writhing around in there. And for a long time, I was really happy in the mud and I'm not sure I like the mud as much anymore. I like walking in the mud. That's for sure.
2: That's right. You've traded the, the metaphorical mud for the literal mud.
1: Yeah. To some extent. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. I have to apologize because this whole time I should have been referring to you as Dr.
1: Daddy Mountain. Yeah, that is true. I'm not really using it that much right now, but I did do that. I got through it. Oh, hey, just a secret
2: for you. When I got my doctorate, I made sure that I made my wife call me doctor. All right. Yeah. I didn't stand on it very much any other place, but doc.
1: Was your doctorate in English or literature or something like that?
2: It was in educational leadership.
1: Oh, very cool. All right. So were you and that's in- nice
2: that's nice of you to say very cool.
1: There are a lot of if you're a real nerd, there are a lot of things that you can go down the rabbit hole of that. I was working on something in that vein for a little while to pay the bills at one point. And yeah, there's so much to read in that intersection.
2: Another good episode title might be Writhing in the Mud.
1: I'm cool. jotting that down. Yes. I think people will think that's probably very physical image, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, you mentioned that, is it the S- Sangres, Sangres? Sangre de Cristo range. It's like a very <laughs> thin little strip of mountains to the west of Colorado Springs. And it's the easiest 14ers to get to from North Texas. So a lot of us will just drive. There's a whole obnoxious like Texans getting eating SAR in Colorado kind of thing. Never me. I, I go out there prepared, but we just drive up right through the panhandle, a little bit in New Mexico. And then you're in Southern Colorado where you can see legit tall mountains pretty quickly.
2: And so I guess I hadn't put that together. You are in Dallas and you're doing some hiking in a sub range of the Rockies. So what is yes. the, what are the logistics there? I mean, how long is it, How long of a drive is that for you?
1: So usually, we often do this with our kids. If my wife can get three or four days off work and our kids are out of school or something like that, we'll just leave four o'clock, spend the night in Amarillo. Next day, you can be in Colorado and hiking. So it's really not that difficult. New Mexico is also not that difficult. It's just driving straight west through the Permian Basin, which is just like, oil drilling and wind farms and cattle and flatlands, <laughs> nothing out there. But then you eventually get out to like Guadalupe, Peak National Park, it's right by Carlsbad Caverns. And so there there are nice areas to drive within about 10 to 12 hours from here, but you gotta be willing to sit in the car, especially with small kids, it can be a
2: Yeah, do you give them the device and just uh, have them pay attention to that? Or what do you what do, you do to keep them occupied?
1: Let them have one of our iPhones to watch some Bluey or maybe Daniel Tiger or something like that. Try to keep it a little educational. But they're good sleepers, so Mm -hmm. they'll be knocked out after some Chick-fil-A or whatever, and (laughs) we can get in some good miles. Now, do you consider yourself a peak bagger? Not really. I'm more of a maybe saddle and pass kind of guy than a peak bagger. My wife describes me as a little bit more acrophobic than your average Joe. I get very nervous when I start feeling air on three sides of me, right? And it's much more about the feeling of being out there and the beauty and being surrounded than it is about having to stand on the top. Ah, we'll go up 6, 9,000 peaks in Washington or in North Carolina, Tennessee kind of areas. I'm not scared of those kind of peaks, but not going to collect 14ers. That's not my ballgame. Okay. Hey, take us through your Patagonia trip. How long ago was that? Was it just the two of you? It was just the two of us right after. Oh, the other thing my wife wanted to mention was that this was right after our first daughter was born. My wife was out there having to manually express breast milk every two or three hours in order to keep her production going for the week or so that we were gone. And she did really well, but it was just not something that you always have happen on a hike. No, so yeah, we, we went down
2: that borders on TMI, but I'm going to ask the follow up question. Did she bring a did she bring a, a, a pump with her or was it just manual expression?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a, an electric pump, a manual pump. OK, got it. Got it. Yeah.
2: I feel like it that's a little that's about. a little too familiar. I
1: probably shouldn't ask that question, but we can move off. that. OK, now.
2: let's change the topic. Go
1: ahead. The hike is 90 percent backpacking for what most people choose to do, which is. They have these huts where you can have a hot meal at the end of the day. And then they have little tents set up. So you still need to bring like your sleeping pad, your sleeping bag, your clothes, lunch, all that kind of stuff. But there's just a hint of civilization. It's almost like hut to hut hiking like in the Dolomites or something like that. But maybe not quite. It's a little more remote in, in Patagonia for sure than like in Switzerland. You can go have an amazing dinner at the end of your day hike. Patagonia, it's a little bit rough in it compared to Switzerland. And you did the W? We did the W. We were going to do the whole O circuit trek, but I think sometimes when it rains really heavy, there's a kind of side on the back end where it's just way too muddy, and so they close it down. Hopefully one day I'd love to take my daughters there and do that whole circuit.
2: Yeah, can you tell us the difference between the W and the O?
1: Yeah, so, oh, man, it's been a while. This was back in like twenty. 17 i want to say so it's been gosh pushing a decade i guess um the w you go up to the gray glacier area and then you go back to where uh, you then link up like the french valley to then the three kind of iconic towers that probably most people have seen on the internet um and you don't do this kind of like back side where lake dixon is but there's apparently a really stunning like view you go up this pass by dixon refugio or whatever and you look out over top of that gray glacier and i'd love to get that view um, someday we saw it from the other angle which is nice but it's not maybe covering your entire field of vision from um where we were
2: got it now you've mentioned a couple times about bringing your daughter or daughters out there on the trail with you and you Plan on doing the Colorado trail next year. You mentioned you'd like to have your daughters go on, you know, to Patagonia with you. Have you followed any of the families that are doing these through the
1: ridiculous through hikes with their kids? Yeah, that that's where I got the idea from and where I got a little bit of confidence from. I do wonder a little bit about some of these. I'm not accusing anybody of child abuse. I just, it just sounds really difficult. Like this, family of like 25 or something like that where there's like an adult child like 22 years old taking care of the other kids who are younger all the way down with one mom at the head of it all. Yeah, Just that's really
2: they're sense. they're on the AT, right? I, somebody sent yeah. that sent that story my way. I couldn't believe it, but I had talked to the Crawfords who right. did the AT with uh, five or six kids, maybe more. And then recently the Netterbergs who were uh uh doing medical work in chad and uh came back and i talked to them seems so long ago that i talked to them and then very next week they were leaving for the the uh, pacific crest trail which would be their third uh be the triple crown for them uh with their family so they did the at i think with uh five kids they did the cdt adding a baby the sixth kid whose trail name was Deadweight. And then uh, they're heading out and they're on the PCT right now. I talked to them like months ago and they're still out on the PCT, just taking their time going southbound.
1: I told my wife about this and her first question was like, so do they do six months of medical work in Africa and then six months of hiking each year? How do they negotiate that?
2: I am not sure. The feeling that I got from them on this current trip is that they had, they were leaving Chad. They weren't going to go back. They'd been there for like over a decade and so they had tapped out and we're going to do this and then figure out uh, what to do after that.
1: Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes sense. It just seemed logistically really hard to pull off moving back and forth. Yes. And so that so, anyway, go ahead. I'm going to try it with her. Uh, my original plan was to do the whole thing and give it about six weeks. So I think people usually do it in about a month. When you got a little kid, you got to, put in a little cushion time there. My wife was not thrilled with her being gone. And I guess she wanted to be around me a little bit too, but mainly just our daughter. And so we're, we're just gonna try to do half, two to three weeks, if it goes well, do the other half next summer, the following summer. Okay, and what are you doing to prepare her? We're gonna go on a bunch of little shorter trips, to sort of the kind of three to four day range. And I gotta make sure that she really understands, she loves talking about town days but she doesn't love talking about thunderstorms that much. So I wanna make sure she understands it's not all pizza and burgers and french fries when you're out there. It's But when it's bad weather, it's bad weather and all that. So I'm gonna test it out. We're gonna go do some state park backpacking in here around Texas a couple of times, test it out.
2: Yeah, I think you should start right now and
1: just see if, if she can make it through a week on just jerky and ramen. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I think I'm gonna try to learn how to dehydrate my own food and just make sure I can do some stuff that I know that she'll like little kids are they're picky they'll say they want mac and cheese and an hour later like, I hate mac and cheese gotta try to have some tried and true stuff out there for
2: her. yeah do you follow Renee and Tim I think they go by through hikers on their social media through hikers oh,
1: I've, I've seen them yeah they do they, they seem very well prepared they are they're big in the dehydrator area yeah yeah. I need you to get into that a little bit because so I think it can be cheaper, healthier. You have your own selection, whatever you want. Yeah, it's worth looking into, I think.
2: Okay. Enough of the happy fuzzy stuff. Can we go back to some more serious stuff now?
1: Sure.
2: Are you, are you okay to return? Yeah. Okay. I think also in your email to me, you mentioned that the mountains
1: saved you and your family. Saved might be too strong a word, uh-huh. but I think that it's... Hiking is something that all of us, except maybe our youngest, is not maybe naturally as enthusiastic, but it's something where we all are happy together. There's a lot less bickering when we're all out there. And yeah, I don't know. There's something really weird that happens when you're out in the the woods or in the mountains where everybody seems like they're on their best behavior a lot of the time just bizarre. The moment we come back in the house, it's just like back to the bickering. That's mine, that's mine, all that kind of stuff. Well, Dr. Daddy Mountain, that
2: those years go by very quickly, I can attest to. Enjoy every moment, even the bickering,
1: but especially the time out in nature. Yeah, we're doing as much as we can. We're trying to throw them into whatever they can handle. This summer, we went up to Oregon, Washington, and my daughter just wanted to do the, have you ever been to the ape cave at Mount St. Helens? It's like a lava tube, and you're just scrambling over rocks in the pitch black with a headlamp on. And my older daughter, she just was killing it. She loved it and said it was the best hiking day of her life. And So just keep adding, giving her more confidence, and yeah. It's pretty great. You are making future adventurers there.
2: All right. Now, we talked a little bit about the church, talked a little bit about the big questions out there and uh, your your struggle. Tell me a little bit about this concept of Murian theology. Can you explain that to me?
1: I wish I had enough to offer you like a condensed like abstract of an article, but it's still early stages. The only thing that I really knew about John Muir growing up is that I was lived on Sierra Drive, which intersected Muir Lane in Chapel Hill, North Carolina for a long time, so I just had heard the name. And i had always just mentally placed him with Emerson and Thoreau, just like an American romantic. And I didn't know this side of him that was like the, father, the strict Calvinist father uh, kind of thing. And then, what I'm really intrigued about is the question of whether or not he ever self-consciously would not have considered himself a Christian anymore, or if it's just a more kind of romantic branding of Christianity, because there's a whole a lot of theologians have claimed that romanticism grows out of frustrated Christians in like the 18th, and 19th century. And I want to learn more about what his actual frustrations were, whether they were related to scripture or just like humans and institutions, because I can understand some frustrations with both of those things. And, or if it was just more like this magnetism that the mountains had for him, where he's not really wanting to say, I'm, I'm leaving everything else behind. It's more of this pull rather than like a huge push away. So those are the animating questions I should say. Yeah.
2: Okay. Now, what are the answers to the big questions we enumerated earlier?
1: I mean, the I think part of my like spiritual dryness, I guess you could call it, is just the realization like it was really settling in that there are a lot of questions we're not going to have answers to until we die. And so it's not like I became suicidal, but it's just I was like, man, maybe 60 more years of not knowing the answers like that. That really hit hard. And it got to the point where I wasn't feeling comfortable making claims about God anymore. I was I hope it's humility. It might also just be intellectual laziness. I'm not really sure. It's hard to be transparent to our own motivations, right? It's probably why we need people like wives and children and best friends and things like that to help see us from outside. Right. Yeah. Why we do something like this, even just verbalizing something, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, I figured something out just by saying it to another human, right?
2: Yeah, in your doctoral program, you didn't get towards the end, and they didn't take you to this this back room and open up the closet full of answers and say, you know what? We only save this for people that have made it this far. You can now know the truth. Here, here is everything. It's like watching a three hour movie, right? And you're waiting. Okay, I'm going to get to the point. There's good, I'm going to be this grand reveal at the end, and then there's not.
1: Those are some of the most frustrating movies, aren't they? Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. But anyway, I, I, I'm in a good place. I I think a lot of grad students, even if you're not having a theological crisis or something, there's just so much time spent by yourself in the bowels of the library. You're getting paid peanuts. You're working a lot. And, yeah. A lot of professors told some of us as master students, be very careful if you go down this path. It's not going to be maybe as as glamorous as don't go into it because you want to have written an award-winning book or something like go into it because you need to study this and learn this and feel i mean like doc if i never am a professor i'll be proud of my dissertation i'm proud knowing that i know more about something that i care about than like 99.9 of people in the world <laughs> so i don't really regret it necessarily it's just when you go through something over like almost a decade-long period you're gonna change a lot and you don't you can't really predict how it, the the ride is going to go how, how the roller coaster is going to be yeah it's going to be off at that moment
2: yeah if there are others listening in right now who maybe are struggling in a similar way have a theological struggle or who are are wrestling with these big questions that we have referred to tonight and aren't sure where to
1: go next any advice for them the mountains <laughs> That's the obvious answer in this kind of context. I think there are a lot of good movies and novels. Brothers Karamazov would be a good example where there's a character who's really trapped by rationalism, trapped in their own brain and thinking themselves in maybe logical circles. And then the antidote becomes things like music or romantic love an act of service, an act of forgiveness, something that kind of, in the Brothers Karamazov, it's the, the kiss of the Grand Inquisitor, right? That interrupts, the Grand Inquisitor's just killing it. He's given the best arguments against God's goodness. We don't need you, God. We've got things figured out here on earth. We were given people bread. They don't want your spiritual bread, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus just kisses him in this act of aesthetic appreciation that kind of confounds the Grand Inquisitor. Seek, um, Moments of like needless beauty would be something I would definitely recommend. If you're trapped in that, it's not just rationalism. It's like being trapped in your own mind. That feeling can be very difficult. Said,
2: said, sir. Hey, Dr. Daddy Mountain, you know where we are right now? I'm smelling a hiking hack.
1: Hiking hacks.
2: You are absolutely correct, sir. We are at that point of the episode where I turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with
1: our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? So I don't think I have too much to offer a lot of your listeners in terms of like long distance backpacking wisdom, but I do think I have a lot to offer in terms of hiking with your children, especially small children. And I would say if you can develop a kind of like internal family lingo, vocabulary around hiking, then the kids start feeling like they're insiders. So I'll give you a couple examples, a little sampling of our family hiking language. One is the Jabberwocky, which is a mystical forest creature that rewards happy hiking children with snacks and candy. And so if you ever hear... means that Jabberwocky is probably right up there where mommy and daddy want to get to a nice view before the complaints about snacking come out. And then my other favorite one is called Hiking Tail, which has nothing to do with pink blazing. It's not about trying to find romantic love or anything, but if you're hiking with your kids and they're getting scared, maybe like steep switchbacks or something, and you're on a single track, just, you got to go to YouTube for this part. Put your hands back like this and let your kid hold on to your hand and then you walk single file with them. And it puts the parents at ease and the kids at ease. So just little things like that make hiking a better experience for all members of the family.
2: Nice, Nate. Way to drive traffic to the YouTube channel. Thank you.
1: There it is. (laughs) <laughs> so they can stare at me
2: behind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you have it. We are just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Nate. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Nate, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your
1: latest adventures? I do not have a social media presence. If people would like to, I'd love to talk about hiking with almost anybody or heck if you live in the DFW Texas area and want to meet up sometime for a hike, people can just send me an email, at gmail.com. You can maybe just put that in the, the text there. For people. But yeah, I, I, maybe eventually I'll, I'll get on the gram. My wife's on the gram. You can, she posts sometimes some hiking photos and whatnot. But no, I, I got off Facebook a long time ago and it was probably a good decision.
2: Do you want to throw out Amy's gram?
1: Oh, I don't even know. It's Amy Little Jones is her name. I bet if you put Instagram, Amy Little Jones, yeah, there'll probably be a lot of nice hiking photos on there.
2: Amy Little Jones is the little her maiden name or is that some kind of other reference?
1: Yep. I fell in love with Amy Little and Madeira Jones. Yep. Got it.
2: Got it. Okay. Remember to check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at HikerTrashRadio at gmail.com.
1: Off the beaten path.
2: Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So, Nate, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie, documentary, maybe even something else. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. What do you have?
1: Oh, I have consumed most of the stuff that I've heard um, people mention on here. I went through a, a kick of just watching all this stuff for probably a year or two. But this one I've not heard anybody mention. It's on uh, National Geographic, which you get on Disney Plus called First Alaskans. It's not technically about hiking, but it is about people who live off the land in Alaska. And they are hiking a lot. It's just very functional hiking. Like we go to the grocery store to take our food into our backpack to go leisure hiking. These people are just hiking in their grocery store. They're trying to get all sorts of food and they just hike. Until they find something and hike back home, and that's how they live. I think my kids are probably watching some of it right now. I love Before that. Going to bed. I love Good that. One. Functional hiking. Really, we're all
2: involved with locomotion. Everybody should be listening to this podcast because it's all just,
1: uh, it's all related. Yeah, Since I fell in love with hiking, I love just walking to the grocery store sometimes with a backpack on, empty backpack and going and getting the week's worth of groceries. And that's how people do it in Europe all the time. It's, we have a very car-focused culture here in America.
2: You know what? My next summer's hike, that's how I'm going to train. I'm going I'm to walk the two miles with a ba- empty backpack down to the store, fill it up, come on back. That's great advice right there. That's almost like another hiking hack.
1: There we go. I'm full of them tonight.
2: Yeah, your score just went up to 77. All right.
1: (laughs) What have we not asked you?
2: And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying To Tell Us
1: About? Uh, I got to tell you just a little bit about the Black Bear Encounter. Of course you Uh, do.
2: I was was kicking myself that I I forgot to ask that question.
1: It's all good. I didn't know if there'd be anything that I wanted to offer up at the end, but yeah, I got to give you a little snapshot of it. I love bears. Grizzly bears are my favorite animal by far. And I have seen grizzly bears from the car in Alberta, which is probably where I want to see grizzly bears. No thanks. Coming around a corner on a hiking trail or something. But I did have that experience with black bear on Mount McCant a couple months ago in eastern Tennessee in the Smokies. And there was another couple that were hiking maybe 15 to 20 feet in front of us. And right after they passed this tree, a black bear just came up onto the trail. Like the bear was waiting his turn more or less to get onto the hiking trail and started coming at us. Not like charging or like aggressively, but enough to like that when something really bad happens or like sudden happens, you almost feel disoriented. That happened. I did exactly what you shouldn't do. I started running away, so stupid. But I think he just wanted berries, and he eventually scurried up the hill. And But, yeah, it was, it's, it was thrilling to be 5, 10 feet away from an animal that probably could take you out with relative ease.
2: Wow. That, that probably got your blood That's, pressure going a little bit there. It did, but then afterward I was like,
1: that was the coolest thing. I'm so thrilled. I finally saw a bear on the trail.
2: That's some type 2 fun right there. You're scared
1: in the moment. You're like, am I going to survive? But, man, it's a great story. It was definitely type two fun. Also had a close encounter with a bison at a state park in Texas when I was camping out one night. It was probably about 15 feet away from my tent. Those guys are actually, I think they're fairly docile. I think you have to kind of mess with them. Like it's the people at Yellowstone who are like trying to take pictures with them and stuff. I think if you just, I just talked to him quietly. He was like. And just ate the grass he wanted. And I packed up and got the heck out of there. Yeah. Yes. Type 2 fun is, is, is real fun.
2: Yep. All right. Hey, we are finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Nate. I also want to thank you for that awesome email you sent my way. We wish you the very best in your future adventures. Looking forward to hearing more about your Colorado Trail trip next summer.
1: You have to come back and share that with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I love this podcast because you'll have this morning. It was Andrew Skirka, like the best hiker in the world. And then tonight you're just talking to a schmuck like me. So there's just such a variety of guests you have.
2: We cover the spectrum here.
1: As we close up, you have any shout outs to friends and family, Nate? I feel like I've shouted out my wife a couple times here. She's the one who got me into this crazy cult. Is that what you call it? I should give my parents a shout out too. That this was the era of just still letting your kids just go outside and just play. I wasn't like hiking necessarily. I was playing in streams, climbing trees, just lo- loving being outside. So I appreciate that they they were those kind of parents.
2: All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. Doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if your Bluetooth sleep mask didn't charge last night. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.